0: Okay, what's up, guys? Okay, so it's Christmas time, the the best time of the year. Um, So this Advent season, we meditate on Christ, his person, and his work. We consider these profound and beautiful truths of Christ's condescension. So, I want to help us meditate on three truths this December, leading up to Christmas. Christmas will be the third truth, the third thing of the Bible that we're going to consider. So this week, we are considering the condescension of Christ to be his first coming. Next week, we will consider... The person and work of Christ. This is going to be the gospel. Third week, this last, the last week, we will consider the second coming of Christ as we await our King to return. So, this week, we're going to meditate on the first coming of Jesus. The in-breaking of a holy God and his kingdom into an unholy kingdom among unholy people. Although we often take for granted the wonder story of a holy God becoming flesh, it is an amazing and central part of the Gospels that we should never neglect to stand and wonder at. If we want to understand the magnitude of this event, we first have to understand two fundamental truths. That of the holiness of God as well as the profound unholiness of man. So, being central actor in all history, it follows that we should first consider the holy nature of God. The driving attribute of God is his holiness. And in Isaiah 6, the prophet recounts a vision of the throne room of God. The Word of God says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the, voice was, and the house was filled with smoke. So, this thrice repetition of the word holy indicates the superlative of the word. This means that God is not merely holy, he is holiest. He is holy in the highest degree. Now this is expertly expounded in RC Sproul's The Holiness of God. It's a book all Christians should read. But for now we'll briefly meditate on this truth of God's holiness. So at this point you may be wondering what is holiness? How how should we define the holy how should we define the holiness of God? So many today especially in The more liberal circles would define holiness as some sort of completion or oneness with the universe. When in reality, if we want to rightly understand holiness, it is not the inclusive or naturally natural imminence with all things, but it's a separation and uniqueness from all other things. Now We'll come back later to this conundrum of how we should understand God's immanence in light of his transcendence. But for now, God, God's thrice holiness indicates that he is the most unique, most good, most just, most self-sufficient being. He is preeminent. He is ase. God has aseity. He is one with himself he self-sufficient he needs nothing now John Piper in his book Providence he outlines ten reflections on God's preeminence and absolute being and I think it would be helpful for us to briefly summarize these brief very biblical truths that I think we should all meditate on on how other, How preeminent God is, so that we could feel even a fraction of what Isaiah felt in the very presence of the throne room of God. One, God has never had a beginning. Two, God will never end. Three, God is absolute reality and nothing exists apart from what he wills. Four, God is utterly independent requiring no object or counsel outside of himself and his own wisdom. Five, everything that is not God depends totally on him. Six, the universe is as by comparison to God as nothing. Seven, God is constant. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is without parts or passions. He is immutable. 8. God is the standard of truth, goodness, and beauty. 9. God does whatever he pleases. And 10. He is the most valuable and important reality. Let's look to Romans 11 where the Apostle Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now, as we cannot exhaust the character of the holiness of God, that he owns all things, created all things, is above all things. I want us to move to the character of man, who is very the opposite of everything we've said. He is dependent on God. He is not self-sufficient. He has a beginning. He will have an end, at least in this life. He needs God. He is not above all things. He's below God. He's a humble creature who lacks humility. Man was from creation stamped with the image of God. He was to have dominion over all things. Yet, he was dissatisfied not only with God's creation but with God himself. Not due to any fault of the creator but because of his own delusions of self-godhood. So... We rebelled against this preeminent, holy, just, self-sufficient, immutable, and impassable God. Yet, we did not die, at least not immediately. God graciously continued to preserve a people for himself. He knew the depths of the vileness of our idolatrous hearts. Yet, of his own wisdom and gracious disposition, he kept a remnant for his glory, for our good To the praise of his glorious name we ought not exist god had every right and ability to blip us from time and space for our transgression against his righteous standard yet he patiently endured a rebellious people through adam then noah then abraham then moses then david god covenanted with his people Although they continuously rebelled in gross idolatry, he condescended to them, remained faithful. He dwelt in the temple for them. He graciously drew near to them and promised to sustain their seed through all eternity for himself, for his own glory. And then Christ finally appeared to dwell among us, taking flesh, he lived among us, John 1 says that he tabernacled with us. This God, this thrice holy, preeminent, self-sufficient, all-wise, all-just, jealous, zealous for his own glory, God spent his first night surrounded by animals. Worse so, he spent his first night surrounded by sinners. He spent nine months dwelling in the womb of a sinner, and he was raised by those very creatures who at the same time were being sustained by his sovereign decree. In a frail and humble body, our Lord entered the universe to dwell with us. And he will be embodied for eternity, and he will dwell among his undeserving creatures for eternity. He died for us, in our place. Our sovereign creator bore the covenant curses owed to his people, acting as the Passover lamb, out of no obligation to us where Isaiah stood before the holy God and cried, I am undone. We stood before our sovereign Lord, the thrice holy God, and we killed him and we nailed him to a cross. And he did so willingly by the predestined ordination of the Father, which he submitted to. Philippians 2, the Christ hymn states, Have this mind among yourself, so that the name of Jesus at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of the father so as you go about your christmas celebrations don't fail to marvel at the profound condescension of our god who stooped far below his station to raise an unholy people far above theirs like isaiah We stand in the presence of God, crying, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts, the King. We should stand amazed before our Redeemer, yet even still we know that we can confidently approach the throne of grace, that we have one mediator and atoning sacrifice, And that the very God who created us now dwells within us. That we have been redeemed from dirt into living stones, chosen and precious. That God graciously condescends to and covenants with us. I want to turn now to Psalm 8. Now before I dive into this, I want to assert that this passage both speaks to the raising of the station of men, but also the condescension of Christ and his glorification. The, there are strong ties in this passage to the creation narrative of God imbuing man with the, the image of God, setting them above creation, but also Hebrews very clearly ties this to the person of Christ and his work in stooping below his station for the sake of men. I uh, would like you all to meditate on this in the coming weeks. This is Psalm 8. It states, declares, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So, if you uh, would like to watch the rest of these episodes, uh, be updated for them, give me a follow on Spotify or any platform that you're listening on. Share with your friends and family so that they too can meditate with us on these truths. Um, and just meditate on the condescension of Christ in these coming weeks of Advent. Uh, thanks for tuning in. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at commoncalvinistgmail.com. You can... Um, email me any of your questions, concerns, feedback at commoncalvinist at gmail.com and all of this is on my website thecommoncalvinist.buzzsprout.com. Make sure you rate this episode—I mean this podcast. Um, leave me feedback. Reach out to me. Give me a follow on Facebook and Instagram. And just enjoy this Christmas season. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.